Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey. Hi, I'm Evgeny. I'm Dimitri. We have here Shiram from Akamai. Can you please introduce yourself and the company? Hey, folks. My name is Shiram Subramanian. I am a director of product at Akamai. Um, I've been with Akamai for about five years now, and I'm very happy to meet with both of you, Dimitri and Evgeny, uh, and talk about what we have to offer. Excellent. Uh, so let's uh, start with our first question and how you name the offering or the product that you have that addressing the DTNA remote access. Yeah. Um, Akamai's uh, product in the remote access space, um, which is built up, uh, built ground up on what we call zero trust access principles is uh, the product called Akamai Enterprise Application Access. Um, what you see with Akamai is in many cases, the name of the product um, defines what it does. So in this case, it's Enterprise Application Access. As a solution, this runs as part of what we call the Akamai Intelligent Edge. And this is the largest distributed edge service in the world. In fact, um, we jokingly say that Akamai was the world's first true SASE and was a SASE even before the concept came into existence. We are very, very intrigued. And we are focused around architecture. So you yep. intrigued us with the large one. Please explain <laughs> about the architecture. Please explain yes. how you guys uh, run the traffic, route the traffic, how people connect, high availability. You're more than welcome to share a screen. Thank you, and I will um, take you up on your offer. Perhaps uh, also maybe it would be interesting to hear how being Akamai helped you uh, in this journey. That, that, that's actually a great question. And um, you know, let, I think that will, uh, maybe that's, that's the lead up into the architecture itself. We are um, the world's probably first SASE is we have the largest uh, distributed edge network or edge delivery platform in the world. Um, we are basically one hop away from 95% of, of all internet users and basically globally have more points of presence than all competitors combined. What is great about this offering is that um, our offering is um, a collection of microservices that sit on these edge nodes and offer anything from uh, site acceleration and performance optimization all the way to zero trust access, a secure web gateway, um, identity management, DNS security, and so on and so forth. Um, this started with a simple idea. The simple idea was we wanted to uh, make the internet better, faster, and more secure. The company is more than 20 years old, and there's a lot of learning that we've had in those 20 years. In terms of the platform itself, I mean, I, I'm not going to go through all of the numbers. I do want to say that we are present in more than 137 countries over, around the world with north of 3,900 locations. Um, it is a massively distributed platform. Now, on the on to your specific question on access, uh, the product we have is what we call enterprise application access. That was um, built ground up on zero trust principles. And since um, both of you folks are very interested in architecture, I am going to jump straight into how the architecture works. The product is built on an identity aware access proxy concept. So fundamentally, this operates through two reverse proxies. 
one facing the user and another facing the application. The reverse proxy that faces the application that users are trying to access, and remember, remote access is not anymore about accessing networks uh, because the traditional VPN-based access to network resources is one that's caused biggest problems in security. So we have a small piece of software that we call the connector that can run in customer data centers or IS environments. And this is the reverse proxy through which all traffic heading to application origins with us behind a firewall are traversed. Similarly, all user traffic, um, either is coming just from a browser without a client or traffic that's coming through a thick client application. So think of your Outlook or SAGUI or remote desktop are sent to a proxy over TLS, and this proxy sits, uh, is, is what we call the Akamai EA edge. Now, between the proxies, uh, connection is dynamically stitched. So other key points, there is at no point of time to be poked into the firewall. All connections that go into the data center are as responses to requests coming out of the connector through the firewall on 80 or 443. It's realistically 443 more than 80 because customers don't set it up for um, 80 any longer. Our actual access solution uh, sits on three legs. So I think of this as a three-legged stool. One, it is fundamentally identity aware, um, and which is why we call it an identity aware access proxy. Um, two, it is a full proxy that also does application delivery um, and uh, load balancing. So you will find uh, within configurations integrated application delivery capabilities as well as load balancing capabilities. Um, connectors are scalable horizontally and vertically, uh, which refers to a piece of software that sits behind the firewall. And um, these connectors always operate in active-active mode. In terms of the third pillar, is uh, this is around uh, the nature of the device that is being used to access. Uh, the solution um, also takes into consideration the posture of the device and how healthy it is to allow access to happen. Now, something that we will actually peel the layers more, we'll find out is um, Akamai's remote access solution is one of the most flexible uh, solutions out there. I call it as something that is, that is designed to coexist with existing solutions in the enterprise where required and displace solutions in the enterprise were desired. This to me is very important because, you know, enterprises come into this journey of revamping their remote access, uh, upgrading to a more secure position from different places. And if we are offering something that's designed around rip and replace rather than coexist, enterprises will struggle to adopt that. So this flexibility is what makes um, our solution unique. The connectors, you can scale them vertically and and horizontally. So you can have, what, what kind of throughput you can uh, actually process to one connector? Um, so since our solution operates um, in terms of users and applications, we don't really uh, measure throughput in, in the purest uh, regular uh, concentrated sense. So each connector can support what we call thousands of active users and thousands of ap active applications and you just scale them as you uh, want to add more users or applications. The overall throughput for the connector depends on the 
spike of the virtual hardware that we set up and the throughput that's available in the branch. We've had customers uh, use our service, service with uh, not of 70, 80,000 users um, active, simultaneously accessing resources with no issue. Thank you. So this brings us to the question related to the licensing of the product. How do you license it? Is it based on users, based on connectors or something else? This is a, this is a very uh, good question. The, we, we've seen, look, we've looked at different licensing models in the industry. Um, in many cases, even when vendors talk about licensing based on users, it's almost always in terms of concurrent users. We license based on um, active users as defined in entitlements. So an active user is somebody who accesses a resource after a successful login at least once a month. Our license is subscription-based. And um, the advantage of this active user licensing is you pretty much end up paying for what you actually are using. Um, it doesn't matter how many devices the user comes in from. It's still one seat for from our service perspective. Nothing else is really uh, charged for. We don't charge for connectors. You can deploy as many connectors as you need. Um, something we'll touch upon when we uh, talk about other parts of the system is um, our integrated directory capabilities, our integrated identity capabilities. Nothing else is charged for. Everything is included. When it comes to this product, can I have the Akamai Enterprise application access as standalone product, or it's an add-on on already existing service or solution? Um, Akamai Enterprise application access can operate as a standalone product. When, when you as a standalone product, should you require it. Um, if you are an existing Akamai customer and you want to add it to your current uh, catalog of products that you have from Akamai, please support that. You mentioned that you guys tied to identity. Can you elaborate more how yeah. it's actually working? Um, wonderful. Uh, that's, again, a great question. As I told you, identity is one of the key pillars. And with respect to keeping the principle of coexisting where required and displacing where, uh, where desired, what we do is uh, within the product is a native IDP that has uh, multi-factor authentication capabilities as well as a cloud directory for users to use in case they don't want to hook up to their on-prem active directory. We also support uh, SAML and OADC based integrations to a variety of third-party identity providers. I have some of them in the uh, slide here. Uh, we have... Um, what we call named identity providers in Azure, Okta, Google, OneLogin, and PingOne identity. And we can support any other third-party identity provider. We typically operate by being in those modes, um, either a SAML SP or um, an OIDC entity um, when interacting with that specific identity provider. Um, so if a customer has a choice of identity provider, we can just work with it. So let's talk a little bit about the ways of consuming the service. Most of the people today are either working or browsing the internet through the browser. And the, there are different types of approaches here. Some of the solutions are using client or agent that they installed on the endpoint. And some of the solutions providing ability to go clientless. Do you support both, one of them? We, we support both models of operation. Um, and uh, you can have them coexist together in your environment. So any application that is HTTP, HTTPS-based um, can be supported without the need for a client. We also support um, a browser-based RDP rendering solution as well as a browser-based SSH rendering solution. Um, so 
um, and this extends to other VDI um, types like VNC. All of these can be supported without the need for a client. Now, if there are uh, certain applications that use other protocols or ports um, beyond the standard HTTP, HTTPS, or the uh, or RDP SSH, uh, we allow customers the option to download and install a client either through our user workspace, which is tied to the identity experience, or uh, through a software distribution system like SECM. And once installed, the client will um, allow users to access any service over their thick uh, client applications. Now, the solution is built ground up in terms of keeping least privileged access in mind, and this extends everywhere. So for example, if you are a user um, in the organization, and let's say Dimitri only is accessing applications over a browser, you will not even see that that uh, identity that you're using to authenticate has the ability to support a client. Now, if, if Gini working in the same organization requires a client, only then will you see the ability to download a client job. So um, at, at no point of time is anything internal ever made visible to the user, or is any access to internal resources allowed uh, for the user without going through our proxies? And so there's still obfuscation everywhere. So you're actually preventing the users that not supposed to access on, I would say, non-standard ports to download the client. So they will not even have this ability. From protocol perspective, if I'm working from home, I may need to share a file or have a phone call. Can you elaborate more about what kind of ports and protocols are supported? VoIP, file share, printing, password changes. Um, so in terms of protocols, we support uh, pretty much any protocol over TCP and UDP across all ports. Um, we do, uh, just in terms of pure zero trust principles, we don't uh, support peer-to-peer, -peer, so we don't uh, support any server-initiated connections. Um, we don't support uh, scenarios where you know, a peer is trying to directly connect to another peer. Um, and that seems to work in most models. Um, for example, let's take printers, right? Invariably, there's a print server sitting somewhere in the, in the enterprise that the user device is connected to. If you are in your home and doing local printing, that traffic should never go through us, right? It should be a user machine hitting the local printer. And um, our, how our client works is it intercepts only traffic that you've asked it to intercept and send over the proxy. The rest of it just goes locally. Uh, file server, sim similarly, we support most uh, file service protocols. If you take something like FTP that's active and passive modes of FTP, and I think the active mode is server-initiated and passive, it's not. Um, and so if it's not server-initiated, we will support it. If it's server-initiated, just for zero-trust reasons, we don't want to go and support it. How will VoIP work in this case? What we have customers do, and, and in fact, this, this is recommendation from most wide providers is to have their uh, call manager sit in the DNT. So it goes over the direct internet for all call exchanges and we probably not want to get in the path. Um, getting these kind of proxies in the path when you're trying to access services over the internet often leads to increased jitter latency and call quality. Now the call quality uh, degradation. Now the other realization that we have is calls like these, which is how most business is now being conducted. It's happening on the internet. It's not going behind the firewall. So um, as those models move uh, to an internet-based service, uh, we have offerings like a secure web gateway to uh, protect and optimize those calls. 
for uh, that that head to services uh, in the cloud nwg offering is called enterprise threat protector it's a sister offering to enterprise access and we also have offer a more holistic product um, which is uh, what we call the enterprise defender so let me break this down a little bit further so um, one of the other advantages to a proxy architecture is that you can chain other services on in front of it or on top of it so for example akamai is uh, very well known for its content distribution and content delivery capabilities as uh, users continue to use the internet to access content that sits behind the firewall the biggest problem they face is performance they keep complaining about things being really slow and enterprises have to solve the problem by duplication so they build data centers all over the world and users are connected to the code process data center what we offer uh, being this big giant overlay on top of internet is maximum uh, performance optimization that we do across layer 3 layer 4 and layer 7 as well as content caching so this service is just chained to the akamai um, enterprise access service to get provide highly performant access um the other variation to this is again a problem that gets exposed because of the internet um traditional applications in the enterprise if you depending on the enterprise you talk to you might have applications that are 10 years old and 15 years old and sometimes even 20 25 years old uh, because enterprises grow organically a lot of these applications are not exposed to the modern uh, attack vectors and therefore are not always built ground up to, to be protected from these modern attacks we can with enterprise access service chain our layer 7 wrap solution which also sits fully in the cloud and you can instantly bring in um uh, world class ddos protections prevent complex attacks like sql injection uh, cross origin scripting attacks and so on and so forth without having to go and touch your application um i think the highlight of all of this and all of what we offer is that you don't need to go and make changes to your application if i have 30 more seconds i want to talk about another interesting part of the architecture that uh, is also very valuable and close to the identity conversation we had one thing as i mentioned is that uh, we bridge with third party identity providers um, and we also have our own idp what we also do with an eaa that's really unique is what we call authentication bridging because we have these two proxies in place we can separate user facing authentication from application facing authentication so for example you could have a user um, authenticate to an azure or an opta or saml and in the back the application which has been used to kerberos constraint delegation can automatically get single sign on so this seamless single sign on can you know extend in any permutation combinations you could have a user logging into our idp and single sign on to an application like rdp service that requests ntlm you can use um, a form based login and from there go into custom header injections so the ability to do authentication bridging brings seamless sign single sign on which not only improves the user experience but also leads to much better reporting because for every access that a user is doing you know who the user is which user belongs to and what the user was trying to access how this solution works if i'm connected right now to my work and i'm doing some operations over ssh and i'm roaming between networks what would happen to my connection in terms of uh, scenarios around roaming your connections we don't we don't disconnect connections when user roams so for the longest possible time 
um, either through retries on the client or retries between the browser and our service, we try to keep the connection alive. In the uh, event that as part of the roaming um, uh, activity, the connection itself does, does get disconnected, once the user connects back to the network, the, uh, while a new connection is established, authentication is uh, set up in the back through uh, the single sign-on that they had already done, which is potentially stored as a cookie in the user machine. So the user can just continue from where they left. So, Suriram, it would be great if you could show us a little bit uh, the product itself, how it works and what it does and how you're using it. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so I, what you see here is the administrative interface of the product. As I mentioned, uh, the product has both an end-user workspace and an administrative interface. Um, we will dive into the details of the administrative interface if we have time, but you know, like um, everybody else, you want to first see how the end-user experience looks like. So as an end-user, um, I can emulate, uh, I can either use the Akamai's uh, EAA's identity service to authenticate and authorize the user, which is uh, the case here. And I provide credentials to log in. So I'm going to first log in as myself um, into this workspace. Um, once I log in, it establishes posture on successful posture. You'll see uh, in land into what we call our categorized user workspace. The space is very customizable, of course. Uh, there's a collection of uh, different categories that you set up, and there are a few favorite icons sitting here and there. So from here on in, you can single sign on into a wide variety of different applications. So uh, for example, um, let me show you just a quick SSO happened to an RDP machine um, over my profile. So it's, you, you see it's reading my user ID and applying my profiles to it as it RDPs into a remote desktop. So this is rendered over HTML5 on our end, uh, it, but it also offers a lot of other powerful capabilities like you know, file sharing and adjusting other settings. But you know, it's not always that I would want to go and uh, RDP into a machine. In some cases, what I want to do is not RDP into the machine or what I want my user to experience is just the application itself. There's always a risk of exposing your entire remote machine to um, a user. So what EA offers that's unique is you can just RDP, allow RDP for a particular application. In this case, this is an RDP for just WordPad. Um, as you can see, this, this screen is, uh, of course, Windows wants me to install updates, uh, but this screen is basically a rendering of a WordPad, and um, as a user, I cannot do anything further with it. Even if I try to install updates, it's not going to allow it. So I have a question. If I'm, as, as an administrator, can I record the session of the RDP of somebody's, what's it doing? If I have a, people that are not full-time employees or um, That's a great question. That's something that we are considering building into it, into the product. Um, we have the capabilities. We've just not exposed it yet. Um, what we also do um, in terms of recording is um, we also offer SSH um, over the browser. And since SSH is connecting to more critical applications typically, we support SSH recording today. So you can uh, audit SSH sessions. Um, RDP is something that we are considering bringing into the product as a uh, next step. From reporting perspective in general, can I do reporting on behavior or anything suspicious? Or in general, what kind of reporting is available? Um, the there, there's a lot of uh, reports that are available. We have what we call uh, preset reports, which is a set of reports that 
uh, we uh, we build and make available based on best practices we also have um, a full fledged application access report that shows pretty much everything you want about that user access so for example this is a behavior based uh, login failure um, event that we record um, where you see um, that i somebody has used my username but i have provided invalid passwords and when when you see the spike up all of a sudden within behavior you know that something is going wrong similarly you can from a map view see where the users are or you can go and get a, a user uh, detail report that should also tell you who the users are what ip address they are coming from and which country they were coming from among other things and um, if you all of a sudden see a user show up um, in uh, in the us and then two minutes later in a different geography or a different country that's a geo velocity flag what we have also seen is customers want to consume the this information not through analytics within the product product but through a centralized analytics solutions like like a seam uh, for example a splunk so we have apps and the ability to export all of our logs into any seam collector that customer wants to collect it to for them to build complex tools and reports now just like you have user reports we have reports on admin events we have reports in the product on access itself which is a generic application access report that i can run and um i i can also see this is a generic application access report that shows a lot more information including the device posture uh, state of each device uh, that that me as a user was use, using to access and the app that i was trying to access i can um, also go and look at um, audits so we were just talking about recording right so i'm just downloading um, an ssh audit which uh, which was a recording of my access on the ssh machine and it just shows up as a text file if you can see my yeah text okay. screen shram thank you very much we actually done with our official part of the show and we want to open this to open discussion and i have few questions so if with the client running it's provide remote access what if a client customer using some kind of web proxy how does it work together so uh, with the client running and providing remote access if a proxy is in the middle there are a few things that we can do so how the client operates is by identifying an origin in the in the cloud that the customer defines and sending all traffic encapsulated over um, a web socket tls connection to the origin now since this is a publicly available origin the simplest thing that we advise advise the customer to do is to make it an allowed origin if your company is acme.com as long as that origin is something that acme.com invariably all on prem proxies will allow the traffic to pass through and the second option is obviously to you know whitelist particular traffic which uh, i would not recommend and i don't think most customers would like uh, we also are um, and and then i'll break it if the access is going via a browser um, the browser automatically directs the native settings of the device and um so in these three variations uh, we typically have customers who use on prem proxies use our service along with okay i wanted to show a product demo where i want to show the performance uh, improvements is there time for us to do that a uh, couple of okay. minutes yes so um in terms of demonstrating other capabilities of the product i wanted to show you both the client functioning as well as some of the performance improvements that i keep talking about 
I have a client that is running, but that's tied to an Azure IDP. So I want to press login to the client. And what you would see is our login is tied to the user browser. Um, the advantage of tying it into the user browser is that the user gets a seamless single sign-on uh, between their client apps and client left apps. Now, we designed the client to be as um, you know up, uh, not intrusive as we can make it. So if you really want to see what's in the client, um, here's a quick view of the client. It tells me uh, a lot of information about myself. Uh, and um, it also has some advanced functionalities. But now that I have the client on, what I'm going to do next is remote desktop into a machine. Now, I have two machines in Singapore, one that's access over a regular channel, another that's access over the accelerated channel. So when I RDP into the regular channel, and I, as a user in Seattle, uh, I'm trying to access this machine in Singapore, what you will uh, start to see once this loads is um, a view into uh, the overall uh, bandwidth that the uh, connection is consuming. Now, to do that, we are using a tool that was, I think, shown in Ignite recently called Remote Display Analyzer. As you can see the uh, tool, you see the round trip latency at 366 milliseconds and the bandwidth output at uh, three seconds. Uh, uh, 323 kilo, kilobytes and so on and so forth. And the overall available bandwidth as detected is about four megs. So this numbers will change slightly if I'm trying to access say cnn.com. Um, now this is a machine in Singapore that's trying to go to cnn.com. And um, the results are being rendered over uh, an RDP connection to me. Um, the latency still remains around 300, 400 milliseconds and the available bandwidth is six, five megabits. Now, if this same machine was, however, accessed over our accelerated uh, path, which um, Akamai offers to its customers, let's see how uh, the experience looks like. It's the same machine as what you can see is we've cut the round trip latency by half. What went to 400 milliseconds is 160 milliseconds. And this is part of why customers choose to use our service and the acceleration rather than building data centers all over the world. Because the performance and latency challenges go away. And if you look at the available bandwidth, it's starting to go up. When I try and access the same page, um, I, 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 you should see more of the performance as I scroll down. The bandwidth is more than doubled here, and the output is also in three and four megs. This is something that's very unique to what Akamai offers in its access solution, and this is why we really are proud about this solution and compared to other offerings in the market. Thank you. This is very, very interesting. Suram, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be able to talk to both of you today. Thanks for the opportunity to showcase our product, and please stay safe. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.